The Lord hears when I call to him. Let us worship God. Our first hymn is a grand orchestral piece, How Great They All Art. Please sing in your hearts and not with your voices. morning. Let us worship God. Sorry, let us pray. I meant to say Amy's already done that part. (laughs) Let us pray. Lord God, we gather on this fine morning to meet you here in this place, in our hearts, in this time of worship. We come to meet you in the risen Jesus and wander in the spirit of the garden, of the beach, of the land, of the hopefulness of the moment of resurrection. We know of the cycle of life and death, and we trust in the truth of life eternal, all because of the resurrection of Jesus because we have met or hope to meet the risen Christ ourselves. We do not claim to understand it all. It's difficult for us to make sense of something as remarkable as the concept of resurrection. But we trust in the stories that we receive, and more than that, We trust in you, O God, and in your Son, Jesus. Our human minds are naturally prone to doubt. Forgive us 
For those times when we allow ourselves to give in to such thoughts, to be influenced overly by doubt and anxiety and worry, we fear the cost to ourselves for faith and for service. So forgive us when we fail to choose the right path, looking for an easier walk instead of doing the right thing. Lord, strengthen our resolve to believe, as Thomas did, as the other disciples did. Chase away all fear. Give us courage to take up our cross and follow where Jesus leads. In the name of Jesus, the risen one, we are called to show our faith in various ways. Here now, quietly as we whisper or say the words into ourselves, hear us as we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power and the glory forever. Amen. Um, not many intimations really to share with you. Um, there is a Kirk session meeting and that will take place on Zoom and that's seven o'clock on Tuesday night. Uh, if you don't know about it, then you've missed the email. Uh, just uh, email Bob for more details and the Zoom link, that's seven o'clock on Tuesday night. As you know, um, we are progressing um, through the timetable for opening up of restrictions. Hopefully you've uh, maybe enjoyed some outdoor time and the freedom to, to travel a bit more widely. In terms of how that affects the church from uh, the 26th of April, we are in a, a kind of a watching space. The cap of 50 is uh, lifted, but that doesn't mean that suddenly we can uh, open up the church to many more worshippers because it's all dependent on spacing. We think we might be able to get another eight, ten people in, um, not many more, um, so uh, we'll keep you abreast of that, but uh, really the, the same arrangements continue for uh, making your bookings through the church email, and uh, we'll let you know if we're at uh, the limit. But please uh, consider coming along on Wednesdays at half past ten, and Sundays of course at ten. Don't hesitate to, to reach out and make a booking, because as you can see today we're six, eight uh, seats um, short of the, the 50, and that's because of the, the difficulty of, of, of juggling numbers um, and encouraging people to come on Wednesdays. So please don't hesitate to ask if you can come, and we'll soon tell you if it's full, um, uh, politely, of course. Um, but uh, speak to the people on the way out if you would like to book for a Wednesday or a Sunday. Now, um, just to set the scene today, um, maybe some of you have been to the beach. Maybe some of you had a picnic in the last couple of days. Who knows? So um, if I was wanting to have a picnic, I can't go in without angles. I see periods of 
tin of tuna. Um, tin of tuna. If I was wanting to make a, pic a picnic with a tin of tuna, of course, this tin wouldn't do it on its own. Some people, if they were, I don't know, hill climbing or out walking, would maybe just take a tin like this and a spoon and eat it out of the tin, but that's not for me. So I certainly would need some, some bread. And, well, I don't know about you, but I don't go for tuna straight out of the tin on bread. Uh, we, that doesn't work either. So then it comes to the two staple ingredients. And, uh, well, if we had a spoon and a knife, that's us. I think pretty much we're able to make ourselves a tuna sandwich. But, of course, the, the tricky thing is, and I don't know if you're, you're like this at home or if your family are like this at home, but sometimes some people prefer it a bit more tomato-y. And you get other people who say, that's too red for me. I prefer the balance more, more with mayonnaise. So you could try and follow a recipe, and the recipe might tell you, oh, it's a... Know, two big tablespoons of the Hellman's and one big tablespoon of tomato or it could be the other way around or you tend just to go by taste don't you in preference that's a bit of this and a bit of that whisk it round is that the colour I usually like that'll do me uh, and that's the, the way that's the kind of formula of following a recipe either something that's written down or something that's kind of in our head and we can judge it by taste following the recipe to get the right outcome. At the end of the day, that's what we want. We want the right tuna sandwich with the tuna mayonnaise, the right consistency. Follow a recipe or go with your, your head and work it out. Following Jesus' death and resurrection, of course, there was many appearances. And one of the appearances that's very well known is when Jesus ended up meeting his friends on the beach. Um, now, it was, a, it was a fish, it wasn't tuna, I don't think it was Hellman's and tomato, um, but it was a, a fish breakfast. But it's not so much the food that was eaten at that picnic that I'm thinking about, it's more about the words that Jesus said. You see, J Jesus said that these things, this is what he quoted, he said this to the disciples after sort of revealing who he was to them, that these things have to be followed. The things that I've told you, the things that are now in hindsight shared in Scripture, have to be told and have to be followed in order that these things come true. Almost like Jesus was giving his disciples a recipe. When you go to share this message with the, the churches and with the, with the world, Follow the recipe. It's there. It's been told in words, but it's also something you know in your heart. Follow the recipe. Put it out there in the right order, in the right way, in the right fullness, and then at the end of the day, you'll get the right result. I think that's something really helpful for us to, to think about today because we've got the stories of Jesus also got the feeling of the risen Jesus in our heart and when we are called as faithful people to go out into the world and to say the right things, do the right things, live the right way, uh, show the, the right kindness and the right level of encouragement and support to others, sometimes we're at a loss how to do it. I think one of the things we're thinking about and learning uh, in this 
post-resurrection story is that Jesus, God, have given us all we need in order to do that. Written down, told to us, but also the Spirit in our hearts. Follow the recipe that Jesus and God have left us. Do the right thing and we'll end up doing what God needs us to do in the world. Our scripture this morning is from the letter 1 John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Listen now for God's word. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Let's pray. Lord God, you always are more ready to bestow your good gifts upon us than we are to seek them. We pray today that we seek and we may truly find and ask that we may joyfully receive your spirit as it guides us through your word, gifting us what we need to hear. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. Good theology requires good imagination because what we hear and read is mind-boggling. This short section is packed with ideas. John is providing us with another perspective, describing how to live into the resurrection, what it means to be children of God. Resurrection is an experience. Living the resurrection is a way of engaging with and understanding the world. It's not just a fact we know, but a way of being. We are trusting new life comes out of old. Hope comes out of despair. Light from darkness and new breath from old tombs. In resurrection, we long to be incorporated into God's creative purposes for the world. The author of 1 John is well experienced. And he's writing to a young community that had seen many of their fellow believers seduced by false doctrine that broke their lives and reduced their Christian community. He takes the members of the community back to their core experience and belief, teaching them how to live into the resurrection. He writes in both a tough and a tender manner But crucially, he writes with love. 
We began this chapter with, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And he's describing God's love for us as a gift. It means we do nothing to merit it. While it's important to claim being a child of God, we cannot boast about it, because then this would be viewed as an accomplishment or a work of our own rather than God's. John reminds us of the privilege of Christian life. We are already God's children now. There's no uncertainty about knowing or not knowing or what has not been revealed. That's secondary to this crucial fact. In this text, John leads us to believe that there aren't words to describe what we shall be like. But when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is, and we will be changed into his mode of being, the Easter resurrection, into his likeness. Knowing we are God's children leads us to hopeful expectation. We know that we will be like Jesus. William Barclay relates a story of a poor and simple man that goes to the cathedral frequently to pray, always praying before the crucifix. People noticed that although he knelt in the attitude of prayer, his lips weren't moving, didn't look like he was seeming to ever say anything. When questioned, the man responded, I look at Jesus and he looks at me. Barclay describes this story as the vision of God in Christ that the simplest soul can have. If we look long enough at Christ, then we can become like him. That's the first half of our text. It seems to come with a sub-message of, yes, we're children of God, but it doesn't mean we can rest on our laurels. Do keep that in mind while we consider the second half, which is about sin. John broaches the subject of purity. He's really thinking about avoiding the state of impurity because impurity is sinful. Perhaps today we think about it as obscenity pervading our own culture, maybe lack of care of creation, any number of things. Often sin is obvious. It's open and blatant, though sometimes we get distracted by the subtle forms of sin in our own lives while ignoring outrageous transgressions all around us. Sin is to obey oneself rather than obey God, and it undoes the work of Christ. Whatever we call sin, John describes it as a condition of lawlessness that can only be overcome by the work of Christ. For John, lawlessness is described as an evil power. And then we hear, no one who abides in him sins. Well, this has turned out to be something of a head-scratcher because based on personal experience, we know about sin, and we conclude that Christians do sin, maybe in spite of verse 6. But let's think a little deeper. First, at a grammar level, the original Greek the verb is a continuous verb. It means that it's not just a once and completed action. 
Sin is still possible, but when we live in Jesus, Jesus becomes our continual, habitual situation. John Wesley explains the verse in this way, Whoever is born of God, while he abideth in faith and love, and in the spirit of prayer and thanksgiving, not only doth not, but cannot thus commit sin. As long as we remember the continual presence of Jesus, we will not sin. When we forget that presence, we sin. So we have a goal. Once freed from sin, the believer must live for God and remain free from sin. This text takes sin very seriously. We can't justify sin. Sin is of the devil and can only be conquered by Jesus Christ and it's presented as a choice that we make. Do we choose to side with evil? Do we enjoy the love of the world and the respect of our contemporaries? Or do we let our lives be claimed by the love of God? Christians do sin. Being focused on ourselves rather than on God is sinful. We have to recognize that sin is a powerful and destructive nature and no compromise can be made with evil. The possibilities of hearers being deceived in this text is not an abstract, hypothetical possibility, and John is addressing that. Thankfully, we can trust that Jesus heals, and he's perfectly capable of healing moral cripples as well. I was reading an article this week with an introduction by Lillian Daniel. She says, There's nothing challenging about having deep thoughts all by oneself. What is interesting is doing this work in community. Whether other people might call you on stuff or, heaven forbid, disagree with you. Where life with God gets rich and provocative is when you dig deeply into a tradition that you did not invent all for yourself. So then let's think about this passage of John in community. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. In 1 John, the focus of God's love is in the community of believers. The church is where God's love is received and accepted. That's a pretty powerful statement. God's gift of love is inextricably bound up with the gift of God's Son in life and death. Only the children of God can speak authentically about God's love. And the Christian life and community can be viewed as a response to God's love in the world. In our text today, John is working on making believers stronger protecting them against the sinful, destructive message of those who would lead them astray. This happens in community. In the resurrection, we have an experience with God and Christ that transcends everything. We know the end game. God will be revealed and we will be like God. And that is our hope. We shall know God fully in the end. John links for us belief and behavior. As we believe, so we behave. Each of us has resurrection stories, faith stories that we need to tell, 
stories of hope and possibility that we have in community with each other. By sharing our stories, we contribute to the continuing expansion of the gospel in the world. When we live as adopted children of God and telling our experience of the resurrection life we claim, whose we are and who we hope to be. Amen. Let's join our hearts in prayer for others and your world. Almighty God, Lord of all creation, we give thanks for this earth, for the leaves bursting forth from the trees, for the increased bird song in our gardens, and for the increased freedom to go and explore this amazing part of the world. The earth is overflowing with varieties of color again, and the lengthening days mean greater opportunity to gather with others. We ask you hear our prayers for the healing of the earth and for careful tending of your world. Help us to recognize our responsibility for the care of your creation and to be open to ways to reduce our mark on the world. Loving God, thank you, too, for the writers of the Gospels and the letters, for the compilers of our faith. Our own faith is sustained by hearing your word and reading the scriptures. 
In this Easter season, we reflect on the love shown to us by God and we claim the truth that we are children of God. You have children all over this world. We turn our thoughts to your children who are suffering, to those who are persecuted and remain strong in the faith. We pray for Nigerians, Bangladeshis, and Afghanis, and Somalians who are suffering for belief in Christ. Help us to support other believers around the world. We offer prayers for your children in this country, some who are struggling financially who do not have enough money for food, people who fear losing their jobs or who are coping with the unending application process. We pray that our actions can help those who are in need. Help us to share your love practically. Loving God, many of your children are experiencing loss. Be with those who miss the touch of a neighbor and those who are mourning loss of life. May your spirit be a comforting presence in their lives. And we pray for your church established to receive your love and communication, to communicate that love to the world. Help the church work toward unity and to truly embody your love for humanity and our outreach to others. Help us live in accordance with your will, making your gospel the focus of our lives, helping others to know you by our words and our actions. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Our final hymn reminds us of our status as children of God. So enjoy listening to the words.
Children of God, may you know the dignity with which you are endowed as God's unique creation, that you are well born into the family of God's children. May you take your place among God's family and give witness to the saving power of God's love in those around you. Go in peace, living, loving, and serving the Lord. Amen.